this morning, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You ever thought about how long things live? I was uh, reading in a devotional this past week from David Jeremiah. It was talking about uh, the butterfly that you see fluttering around in your yard. Uh, I don't know if you ever tried to catch one of those or maybe you, they caught your windshield or something. But do you know how long they live? It's said in the devotional it has a one month lifespan. Think about it. Whole life in a month. Uh, It said alligators live about 50 years. I found this interesting. It said there are whales swimming in the oceans today that still carry ivory points of spears flung at them almost 200 years ago. Think about that. They're still in the whales. A giant tortoise can celebrate 250 birthdays. I think there's a lesson there. We need to slow down and uh, you can live a lot longer. The Antarctic sponge has a lifespan of 1,500 years. If you're looking for a pet, don't get that one. And it says there's a species of jellyfish that's said to be virtually immortal. When it grows old, it has the ability to cycle back to an immature stage and start all over again. And so that got me thinking, well, how long do we live? Uh, How long do we in America live? What is our average lifespan now? And I got to looking it up, and I don't know if you can see it's a little bit blurry, but there it is. In 2012, 78.74 years is the average uh, lifespan. Uh, So about 79 years. You see Japan's a little bit better at 83 years. Afghanistan, you'd only last 60 years. But um, now some of you are doing the math now. I was saying 79 minus my age. And some of you are way above average already. And some of us are just hoping uh, to make it to average. But we realize, I hope today, that none of us are going to remain here. That is upon the earth as it is this moment in these bodies that we have this moment forever. Uh, my devotional went on to say this. Regardless of our ingenuity or initiative, time cannot be stored, stopped or slowed. There's an end to everything in this life. The time we have is a gift from God. And we must be mindful that whatever the moment holds, this too shall pass. Now listen to the last part of the devotion. I said in each season of life, God has a purpose and an enduring plan. And so today we're talking especially to the youth. And by the way, thank you all for sitting up front. I didn't even ask you to, but here you are. So thank you. I can look right at you. And uh, what a great time of life you are in. Um, I think back to my youth and some of you thinking back to your youth. And some of us had to think longer and harder than we used to. Uh, but what do youth today need to hear? These youth, other youth. Well, they need to hear uh, the word of God. That's what they need to hear. Uh, not my words, not uh, the word, the world's words. They need to hear the word of God. They need the Bible. All of us need the Bible. And so today we're going to come to the Bible and talk to the youth and talk to all of us. The Bible says in Psalm 119.9, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. And so my goal today for the youth and for everybody here is not to give you my words or someone else's word, just to give you God's word and, and tell you what God says. Um, how many times we're, we're guilty, those of us that are a little bit older, of uh, passing on our wisdom uh, rather than God's wisdom. That reminds me of a story that I read about a father and a son. And the father said, son, you're, you're not studying the way you could. 
He said that when Abraham Lincoln was your age, uh, he didn't have computers and electric lights. He walked 15 miles through the snow to check out uh, books of the library. He walked 15 miles home so he could read them by the light of the fireplace. And when he was your age, that's what he did. And his son was listening to him. And here's what the son said. He said, well, I said this to his dad. When Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was president of the United States. Uh, so, I mean, it's all it's all perspective. It? I mean, you know, be careful what you say. That, that hurt. But you know what? As I said, the youth helped plan the service today. And they also suggested the group that was with me that night. And we planned it out uh, in youth that uh, they suggested what well, I should preach on today. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach on the verse that they suggested. And we find the verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 12. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation today. And let's just do this together. I've got it on the screen in front of you. Uh, Let's just read it out loud together, can we? Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Thank you. First Timothy is a letter in the Bible that Paul wrote to his young friend, his younger friend, Timothy. And Timothy was serving as a pastor in a place called Ephesus. And it appears that Timothy was serving in a church where there were a lot of people that were older uh, than he was. And you know what? That can be tough uh, to serve uh, in a place where there are a lot of people that are much older than you. Now, you realize that you can't make people think correctly about you. And you can't make them think good things about you. And you can't make them think uh, kind things about you. Um, But we can uh, make sure that we don't give people ammunition to think poorly about us and to look down upon us. And that's what he's talking about here. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're young, but don't let that stand in your way. You're younger, but don't let that stand in your way. Don't let it be an excuse. Instead, be an example Of what a believer should be. And so I want to talk to you today about being an example. And he lays out some things that should characterize Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a pastor. But really these things that are mentioned there. They should characterize every believer. Every child of God. This would be the goal that we would have uh, to live this kind of life. Now before we look at the specifics. Let me give you something that may surprise you. It says there don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. When it talks about Timothy's youth or Timothy being young. That doesn't mean that Timothy was a teenager at this point in his life. In fact, the Greek word that's translated there in our English Bible could be used at anyone under the age of 40. And that makes me feel real good uh, because, you know, I'm right. Anyway, uh, many Bible scholars believe that Timothy was probably somewhere between 35 or 40 when this was written. But so why does he say young? Because there were those that were much older than him. And here he is as the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And it may have been a little intimidating. Timothy may have been a little timid, a little you know, reserved. And so Paul says, listen, don't let your youth stand in your way. Don't let anybody look down upon you because you're young. Don't use it as an excuse. Instead, be an example. And so uh, when it says he's young, you might not think about it being as young as some that are here today, but he was still young. You know, young or youth is a relative thing, uh, depending on who's looking at it. To a 15-year-old, a 5-year-old's young, right? Uh, To a 40-year-old, 15 is young. When you hit 90, I guess most people are young. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, uh, my point is this. Don't let what I'm about to tell you say, well, that's for a 35 or 40. No, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Uh, What he tells us here in the Word of God. Uh, Older, younger, it doesn't matter. Don't use your age as an excuse. And by the way, gray hair. 
doesn't automatically mean a godly life. Gray hair doesn't automatically mean a godly life, but that's a different sermon for a different day. The focus is not on age, it's on being an example. And notice what it says. You've got it before you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Uh, he lays out five things. Now, if you look at the verse before you there and you see it, really it's two groups of characteristics or traits. There are the outward traits. We see those in what you say and how you live. Then there are the inward traits. What would those be? Your love, your faith, and your purity. It looks like this. The outward traits are what you say and how you live. And the inward traits are your love, your faith, and your purity. Before we look at those, let me just remind everybody of something, though. Before you can ever be an example to Christians, and be an example as a Christian, you've got to be a Christian. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible says what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I ask everybody here today, younger, older, middle-aged, whatever your age, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you realize that you're a sinner, you're undone, but God loved you so much, he gave Jesus to die in your place, and you said, you know what, I don't want to live in sin, I don't want that, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If not, the very first invitation I put forward to everybody here today is come to Jesus. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon him, and you will be saved. And he gives purpose and joy and peace to our lives. Now, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to live. He takes up residence in you. And the only way we can live like that verse talks about is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not our power, but God's power. In fact, it's kind of interesting. They got stuck with me twice today because I was uh, teaching this morning in the youth Sunday school. Uh, we looked at uh, these verses this morning. Remember, I pointed out these verses to you, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so what we're about to look at that Paul says to Timothy, he's not saying, look, Timothy, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do these things in your own strength. No, the Holy Spirit works in your life. And I want you to remember the fruit of the Spirit as we study the things that he talks about here. So let's just go through them real quickly here together. And let's look at these five traits. First of all, the outward traits, the things that others see, our life. First of all, it says to be an example in what you say. That is our words. And so this would include written words, spoken words, words that are typed, words that are texted, Facebook, Snapchatted, Instagram, Twitted. Uh, Twittered, blogged, spray painted. What other ways is there words? Whatever how you communicate. Whatever, scribbling on your desk at school. Vandalism. Whatever it is. That's probably not a good idea. But anyway, whatever it is, what? It says, be an example to all believers in what you say. So I ask you, and all of us, what are you saying? What are you saying? Does what you say, does it honor God? Does it show that you love Jesus? Is it consistent with the Bible? Does it point people to the gospel? Is it truthful? Is it kind? Is it loving? Is it pleasing to God? You know, our mouths can be fountains of blessing, can't they? I mean, they can be fountains of blessings, 
But you know what? They also can be pits of darkness <laughs> that, that, that spew forth. And we need the Holy Spirit to guard our mouths and to guide our mouths. We need to give our mouths and our speech to Jesus. Now, here's a good test for all of us, youth, older, younger. If a person listened to you for a whole day, if they just put a microphone on you, and maybe they just at a distance, they just listen to everything you said today, your private conversations, your public conversations, maybe even your conversations to yourself. <clears throat> Y'all talk to yourself, too. Anyway, would they know at the end of the day when they played the tapes back, would they know that you love God? Would they know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Would they know that Jesus has made a difference in your life? Now, listen, this is not a time to make any of us feel bad and horrible. If you're a child of God today and God, the Holy Spirit convicts you of something you said or you have sin in this area. Here's what you need to do. Confess it and forsake it. First John 1 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so you don't have to sit there and say, man, I said this, I said this, I said this. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. And if it's something you said to someone else, go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry. And just settle it. Just get it right. And go on and say, God, guard my mouth. So right now you can ask the Lord, you know what? You know, I've said some things I should have said. Just say, Lord, I, I, I confess. It. I, I ask you to forgive me. And you know what he does? He forgives you. And he forgets it forever. So be an example in what you say. But then it says what? In the way you live. This moves from words to actions. This is looking at your conduct, your behavior, the way you live your life. Uh, you know, people are watching you, right? You know, people see you. They hear you. They watch you. They watch all of us. Especially if we say what? We're a child of God. We're a follower of Jesus. They're looking in our life. There was an old Puritan, Richard Baxter, said you can unsay with your life. He said, basically, you can unsay with your life what you've said with your mouth. Do you ever think about that? In other words, you can talk a good talk. But what about your walk? Does your walk and your talk, does it line up? We could ask the same questions about our life that we ask about our speech. Uh, does it honor God? Does my behavior, does my conduct, does it honor God? Does it show that I love Jesus? Uh, uh, is it consistent with the Bible? Does it point people to the gospel? Do people look at me and say, oh, there's something different about that person? In, in a good way. There's something different about him. There's something different about her. If someone watched you for a day, let's say they not only put a microphone on you, they put a camera on you. And by the way, you realize how much we're on camera every day. We're all movie stars. Everywhere you go, they got a camera on us. Walmart, Lowe's, grocery store. You just you walk around going, hey, how are y'all? You know, but people are watching us. If they put a camera on you all day and they watched you in your life. At the end of the day, would they say, you know what? There's a person that loves God. There's a person that walks with Jesus. There, there's, a, there's something different about them. There's something good about them. And they realize that there's the Lord in you. Now, again, if there's something in your life, maybe consistently on We all fail, by the way. We all say things we shouldn't say. We all do things we shouldn't do. We confess those things. But there's some, some things in our life. Maybe God puts his finger on something. Again, what do you do? Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me. Please guide me. And so those are the outward traits. Those are the things that people can see about us. They can hear us. They can see us. But let's move from the outside to the inside for a moment. Talk about those inward traits. First of all. There are three mentioned here, our love, our faith and our purity. Now, by the way, these three we're about to talk about, they reflect themselves in the two we've already talked about. What's on the inside comes out on the outside. There's an old saying, of course, we don't use much of it, but what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. You let a bucket down in one of those old fashioned wells. 
Whatever is down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And our lives reveal what's on the inside. Kind of like uh, taking a tea bag and sticking it in hot water. When it's put in the hot water, what's in the tea bag comes out the tea. And that's what happens to us a lot as Christians and as believers, right? We get put in difficult situations and what's on the inside, it comes out. And so here are three things that are those ember traits, but they manifest themselves on the outward. First of all, love, your love. You say, what kind of love is this? But you know, there's different kinds of love. This is agape love. You ever heard that term, the Bible, agape? It's Jesus type of love. It's the type of love that looks on the benefit of other people. And it's concerned about other people. It chooses to put other people above ourselves. Now, the Bible is clear on how important love is, right? Listen to these verses. Do they sound familiar? If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, how awesome would that be, by the way? But listen to what it says. But didn't love others? I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had a faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, the Bible says I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And it says at the end of that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is which? One, love. Love. We're to love God and we're to love others. Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. If we're going to be an example to other people, to other believers, then we've got to be loving. We've got to be filled with loving uh, thoughts and words and actions. Well, remember what we've already said. What does Galatians 5 tell us? But the fruit of the spirit What's the very first one that's mentioned there. The fruit of the spirit is love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, so on, so forth. And so if we're going to be loving, we've got to yield ourselves, give ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to cooperate with you as you work in my life. I want you to produce that love in my life. Love for God, number one, and love for others. And by the way, if you love God, you can't help but love others. Why? Because God loves others. God loves people so much that he gave his son to die. And so let me share with you something very important. It's important for this time of your life. But it's important for all believers. Because I say a lot of believers that struggle with this. And that is they struggle with exactly what is love. Because a lot of people think this way, by the way. They think love means that I just accept everything. Everything's okay. I don't ever say anything's wrong. Love is just, I'm just loving. Whatever, it's all hooray, hurrah. You know, it's just love. Well, that's not biblical love. Paul Tripp says there are an awful lot of things that we call love that don't rise to the level of what love is and what love does. Now, here's some examples. Now, listen. Tolerating things that are wrong in the eyes of God may create a comfortable surface peace, but it's not what love does. Saying it's okay, don't worry about it to a person who did something wrong is not really loving. Living inside of a circle of evil and not making waves may cause people to like you, but it isn't love. Asking others to tolerate whatever I do or say because they say they love me is a fundamental misunderstanding of what love is and what love does. 
Listen to this one. Refusing to step into tense moments with others because there's a wrong between us that needs to be exposed and discussed isn't love. In other words, there's something wrong, but I'm not going to deal with it. That's not love. Listen to this. Remaining silent when I should speak up isn't love. That's not love. And maintaining peace at any cost is not love. It's not biblical love. Real, he says, real biblical self-sacrificing, God-honoring love. Listen, it never compromises what God says is right and true. It never compromises it. So love is not saying, well, anything's fine. You do whatever you want to. Do we still love people? Yes. But true love says, listen, I'm willing to get uncomfortable. And I'm willing to deal with some things. And I'm willing to say, you know, this is tough. And there's some things that are wrong. And we want to deal with those things. That's love. Now listen to what he says carefully. I'm not talking about being self-righteous or judgmental or critical or condemning. I'm talking about choosing not to ignore wrong, but dealing with wrong with the same grace that God has given and extended to us. That is in grace, seeking to deal with things in love. That's an example of a believer. That's a good example. They say, listen, because of love, I'm going to do some hard things and I'm going to talk about some hard things because I truly love. We talked about this morning, Sunday school, remember, I gave the example if one of you had cancer that a doctor, how, what would love love wouldn't say, well, you know, you have cancer and I just I just love you. I can't cut on you and I can't I can't do that. So you just have a good day. I said that, that's not love, is it? Love says, listen, it's going to hurt. But because I love you, I'm going to operate on you. I'm going to remove the cancer. Why? Because I want you to get well. That's a picture of love. And so one of those inward traits is to be an example of love. Well, we beat that one to death, right? We got love. Y'all don't look very loving right now. You you got love. All right. Next, your faith. What is faith? That is dealing. This deals with our trust in God, having confidence in God and his promises. Some understand this to be the idea of being faithful, of doing what you ought to do. But really, I think those two things are tied together. If you're really going to be faithful, you're going to have to be filled with faith. You're going to have to trust God and his promises. And so let me ask you a question. Young, old, all here. Does your life reflect a strong faith in God? Or are you kind of like, you know, uh, a boat on the ocean and life just kind of tosses you around and waves crash in and you're up and down. And today I'm happy and today I'm down back and forth. And here we go. We don't have to live that way. Why? Because our God is faithful and we can trust our God. Even when the storms are crashing in upon us, we can remain steady with our faith in God, knowing that God is a promise keeping God. God is a faithful God and we can trust the Lord. So I ask all of us today, does your life, do you speak and live faith or fear? Do you speak and live faith or fear? What does your life reflect? What is your speech? Because remember the outward traits. What you say and the way you live. What are you saying? Are you saying it with your body and your life that you believe and trust God? Because that's a good example of a believer. But we only do that what? In the strength of the Holy Spirit. Not our strength. Well, we got one more. Which one's that? Our purity, right? Be an example of purity. Now, this literally means moral cleanness. It carries the idea of sexual purity, moral purity. But it's, it's especially this way. Literally, it means especially lacking firsthand knowledge of evil. In other words, you don't have to experience something to know it's wrong. Some people say, well, I've got to try it out for myself. You don't have to go down that route. 
Wisdom says this is wrong. I've seen it in others. God says it's wrong. I don't want to deal with it. You don't have to have firsthand knowledge. You want to be an example in purity. Now, listen, Timothy was a young man. We said he probably wasn't as young as a lot of the youth here. He was a little bit older, uh, but uh, he was young nonetheless. And young is one of those relative things. And by the way, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but, you know, Timothy didn't live in today's world. He didn't have to deal with all we deal with. I mean, impurities everywhere. Sex is everywhere. All this stuff's everywhere. He didn't have to deal with that. Listen, did you know that Ephesus was a city given over to sexual immorality? Even, I think, tied up in their worship in that city. So it was not like, you know, it wasn't Disney World where they're just, oh, everything's wonderful. No, it was, it was given over to sexual morality. And Paul says to Timothy, listen, be an example in purity. We live in a sexually charged world, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to be pure. And that's for young people, old people, middle-aged people, all believers. God's standard for us is purity, but we don't do it in our own strength. What does the Bible say? Again, the same verse. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. It goes on to say self-control. Self-control. In other words, sexual sin, immorality, is not something we have to give into. We can resist in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to have His power. Now, those are the traits, beloved, that you characterize Christians. An example of believers in how we live, in what we say, in our love, in our faith, in our purity. And listen, age is not an excuse. Whether you're older, younger, middle aged, the perfect age, whatever it is, this is what the believer should look like. They should be an example of believers in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I say to you that are especially young today, teenagers and below. And to all, but especially think about Youth Sunday. Give your life to Jesus Christ now and live your whole life for him. Don't wait. There's a story I read about a pretty young lady. She received some flowers one day from a lady named Mrs. Mack. And when she got the flowers, she opened them up and she was taken back by the condition of these flowers. In fact, it was a box of roses. Now, Girls, I imagine you wouldn't mind getting a box of roses. Guys, don't know about you. Charlie, you into roses? But anyway, uh, you take a gift card, right? Uh, but she got this box of roses, and when she opened them, the roses were wilted and the petals were falling off. She got a box of wilted, dead roses. She kind of thought, well, what in the world happened? Maybe the delivery got delayed. You know, maybe they were beautiful and just the delivery got delayed. And maybe that's why they're in such. But she had the benefit of the doubt. That's what love does, by the way. That it gives the benefit of the doubt. But later that day, she ran into Mrs. Mack. And she ran into Mrs. Mack on the street and she thanked her for the roses. And here's what Mrs. Mack said. I'm glad you like them. I cut them last Monday and enjoyed them all week. But this morning, when I noticed they were beginning to get old and faded, I thought of you and had them delivered to your door. Now, let's just be honest about it for a moment. Put yourself in that young lady's shoes. Mrs. Mack just said it to you. How would you feel? Pretty bad, huh? You'd be hurt by that, wouldn't you? 
If someone deliberately says, listen, the roses were they were fading, they were wilting, they were falling apart. I thought of you. I sent them to you. And you know what? This young lady was puzzled and she was hurt. It hurt her a lot. It was all over her face. But here's what Mrs. Mack said. The other evening I was sitting in the car while my husband went into the drugstore. As you walked by, I heard you telling someone that you were going to become a Christian later, not while you were still young. You said you wanted to have a good time first. How selfish. You wish to give the Lord your life after the beauty, charm and vigor have faded and you become old and wrinkled. I thought the roses would illustrate what you're doing to the Lord by waiting. And you know what happened to that, little, that, that young lady? Thankfully, she caught the lesson. She learned her lesson. She soon received the Lord Jesus Christ and she served him with zeal and vigor and the youth that God had given to her. Now, here's the point. You would never send wilted dead roses to anyone, right? You just wouldn't do that. You'd never serve leftovers to an honored guest. If the governor or president came to your house, you wouldn't say, Mom, can you heat up the leftover lasagna, right? You just don't do that. Not to an honored guest. Why do we treat the Lord that way? Why do we say, Lord, now here's my life. I'm going to live the whole first part for, for me. And then when I'm, you know, growing weak and weary, then I'll give that to you. No, he deserves our best, not our leftovers. And so I say to you, young people today and to all of us. Give your life to Christ. First of all, receive him as Lord and Savior. And then give your life to him every day, serving him as an example by what you say and how you live. Filled with love and faith and purity, living out your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. In fact, there'll come a day where you'll look back and you'll bless the day where you said, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that I said yes to Jesus. And by the way, if you're here today, and maybe that illustration describes your life, it's not too late. The invitation is open. Give your life to Christ. And He'll take your life right now, wherever you are in life, whether close to the end of life or early in life, He'll take your life and He'll use it for His honor. And his glory. Blessed be his holy name. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for this verse of scripture. Thank you for the wise words that you had the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to say to Timothy. May none of us use our age as an excuse to not serve you. Whether young or old or somewhere in between. May our lives truly be an example to the believers. Father, we acknowledge this morning we cannot do this in our own strength, but only through the strength which you provide. And so I pray your Holy Spirit to be working in our lives, as I know that he is. But Lord, I pray especially today that we would cooperate and obey his leading in our life. I pray for these precious young people. Thank you for them. We love them, Lord. And we thank you for the life you've given to them and the potential that's bound up in them. Father, I thank you for the joy of this time of life. But Father, I pray that each one of them would give their life, if they haven't already, that each one would make sure that they are saved. And then they have given their life fully, and o- fully over to 
serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would shine brightly for you. That they would be an example to all that know them at school and at home and everywhere else of how a believer lives and how a believer talks and how a believer is filled with love and faith and purity. So I pray, O oh God, that you work in these hearts and lives here today. Work in my life, O oh God, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's very clear today that um, we want to invite you to receive Christ. And then if you've already received Christ, maybe he's spoken to your heart. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to have an invitation time. Then we're going to close with a responsive reading, which I forgot because I'm getting old and decrepit. And then we're going to pray over the meal. But right now we want to do the invitation. And if you need to be saved today, just come. I'll be down here. I'd love to lead you to the Lord. And if you just want to come pray, maybe you're a young person and you want to come and say, Lord, I want you to use my life. Maybe you're struggling with something. The altar is open today. And we're going to sing. This is a song they chose. I think it's a wonderful song to close the service on. So we're going to sing this. Then we'll have uh, a responsive reading. Then we'll pray and ask the blessing. But right now, this is time to do business with God. Uh, Number 187 in the garden. He wants to walk with us and talk with us as it talks about there. And so as we stand and sing, the altar is open. Young, old, whoever here today, we'd invite you to come. We'd love to pray with you. Let's stand and sing 187 in the garden. Thank you.